I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. Hi, everyone. I know it's been a while since you've last heard from me, but I am excited to be back. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Leah Thomas. Born in Hawaii and based in Brooklyn, Leah Thomas is a multimedia artist with a focus on music and weaving. Her woven work is centered around hand-looming natural fibers that she dyes with botanical pigments. Her frequent use of indigo is symbolic of her Japanese heritage, honoring a lineage of kimono makers and textile artisans in her immediate ancestry. A lifelong musician, Leah Thomas, is set to release her latest record, Mirrors to the Sun, on Spirit House Records, July 22, 2021. Additionally, Leah channels her studies in traditional herbal medicine into a boutique line of seasonal hand-harvested herbal products under the name All in All Apothecary. Hello, Leah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling our listeners how you began working with fibers and music and how all of those parts of your creative practice really work together? Sure. Um, So my name's Leah Thomas. I'm a musician and a textile artist and I, an herbal enthusiast, <laughs> I always say, um, I love the plant people. Uh, I got started with music first. That was kind of the first love in my life. My parents are both really artistic people in their own ways. My dad played music and also actually had a textile uh, design company where he worked with like Balinese textile artisans when we were really young before I was born and and into my early childhood. Um, So I was always kind of surrounded by like creative people and and just being, always being encouraged to kind of pursue any medium that I wanted and to just explore and, you know, play and chase my ideas. And music really got a hold of me when I was four or five. I started playing piano. I kept that up and then... um, switched to guitar and got into rock and roll when I was like in my teenage years, uh, recording myself and writing songs and all that. And that's really been my main, um, and kind of, I mean, other than some drawing and stuff, that's really been my main practice creatively for most of my life until my early twenties when Mm. I kind of spontaneously had like an epiphany about, um, about textiles that like they weren't just you know like fabric isn't just for making clothing like you can also make artwork out of it and it was like this (laughs) total you know like oh my gosh like aha moment for me because it it, I felt like a lot of my um you know my dad's involvement in textiles and and my my all my grandparents from my mother's side my great-grandmother was a kimono maker. My grandparents and her maintained a kimono like custom workshop in Tokyo. And I, would, I grew up visiting them. So I was always surrounded by this, this kind of world of textiles. But I never really made the connection that it could be um, sort of funneled into a more like singular artistic practice, like in a way that felt more expressive of who I am and not just, you know, to make a piece of 
beautiful clothing or something like that. I thought it was really exciting that you could make paintings in a way out of, you know, what, what most people think of as like, ooh, a piece of art that I would hang on my wall. It's like, oh, that can also be made out of fiber. Whoa, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so beautiful to have all of those different aspects kind of communicating and showing up in your work in different ways. I'm really curious, and I ask this because I really enjoy learning about how artists really navigate all of the different talents that they have and and how they come together. So I'm curious if you feel that you're music informs your textiles or if your textiles inform your music and and how does apothecary kind of play into all of these different themes that show up yeah that's such an interesting question um i i feel like there's certain similarities in terms of the kind of like that you're using a tool you know when you're weaving a a piece of fabric or whatever it is that you're creating on a loom, you're using the loom and you're working with this kind of machinery in the same way that when you're working on a song or you're playing a song or whatever, I play guitar. It's my main instrument now. You know, I, I I guess some people would just sing in which their tools would be their voice, but um, there is this kind of like element of working with an instrument of or tool of some kind that I feel like there's a similarity there, but I kind of put weaving and music in very different spaces in my mind. Uh, they kind of bring out different things from my subconscious or my creative side um, in, in very different ways. Uh, I feel like with weaving, I love how finite and tangible the end product is. You know, mm. you can like cut it cut like that moment when you're cutting a piece off of the loom and you're just like yes (laughs) it's so satisfying whereas with music it's it's much more abstract it's very subjective you never really know if you've like you know quote unquote like finished a song (laughs) it can be kind of a um a more ambiguous exploration and i i love that with weaving i get to kind of turn off my mind in a way and I really just get into the visual aspect of it and the rhythm and the textures and I don't I don't really make plans or designs most of the time when I weave so I just I love the like there's one direction you go you know left to right with your weft you can make some you know squigglies but generally it's kind of like this weft and warp weft and warp and I love that the confines of that and what you can do within that structure still feels like there's so many options, but there is this kind of container for the energy. And I think that's, it's really like a different kind of meditative practice um, than music. And I find that really, really like soothing. I kind of go in really heavy phases between um, weaving a lot or, you know, working on a record or something like that. It kind of comes in, in like long rolling waves of months at a time sometimes where I won't, um, do much weaving and then I'll just be obsessed with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I completely understand that because I feel like I work 
in the same way where I compartmentalize the different things that I do. There are small moments where I'm like, oh, I can see how this is living through this, but I can imagine the satisfaction that you get from the different freedoms that you have, you know, like feeling, Mm -hmm. feeling the feeling of having a finished piece, whereas music kind of has this very whimsical, ephemeral quality. So yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. I'm really curious where you developed your fiber skills. Did you learn in school? I know you mentioned, you know, having a family with creative background, but how did you get specifically into using looms and and really developing and honing in on your practice? Yeah, um, I'm super self-taught. <laughs> um, I really just like went down the YouTube rabbit hole for the first year that I was um, picking up weaving. And I basically, I went to this like week long camping women's like skill sharing gathering. Um, And that was like the first time that I really like saw other weavers displaying their work and, you know, like showcasing them as like artworks. And I was like, oh, very cool. And I came home from that experience not having like done any actual weaving workshops there, but I came home and I was like, I kind of want to try that. That's looked really cool. And I literally just, you know, like any good millennial will do. (laughs) (laughs) I just started Googling, how do you weave? And, um, you know, I, I, I always tell people like who, cause I've had so many friends over the years ask me like, how, how can I get into it? It looks so, you know, peaceful and, and relaxing. And I, I want to like pick up a creative practice. And I always tell them just watch a bunch of YouTube videos, start with a picture frame loom, you know, just, or just a picture frame, I mean, and turn it into a loom, just like weave your warp around it and start with, you know, really simple tapestry needle, um, on a little picture frame. And that's how I started for the first month. And then I kind of like found a bigger frame and then I was like, Oh, I really want like a loom loom now. And so I, <laughs> I like slowly graduated and got myself a rigid heddle loom. Cause it was, it felt like the next kind of step mentally. I didn't want to go to a floor loom in the, after like, you know, three months of practicing weaving also living in a one bedroom apartment, <laughs> mm, which is definitely, uh, definitely an issue with weaving. <laughs> oh my gosh. Space is a real consideration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I love my, um, I got a Kromsky Harp Forte. I still have it. I love it. I have it in two different sizes. Um, I love it because it folds up and I mostly work with plain weave and then I kind of, um, embellish it with different textures and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe some lace techniques and stuff, but generally for a lot of my work, uh, a rigid heddle loom actually is totally sufficient. Um, I know it's like kind of like a more simple structure, but I, I just, I love how portable it is. I like to travel. So I have like a smaller size that I take with me and I can just fold it up and get it in this little carrying bag. And, you know, I've taken it, I'm from Hawaii originally, and I, I'll take it back to Hawaii when I go visit friends and family and stuff and just fly with my little loom. (laughs) So I do. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's wonderful for that. And I always, I always highly recommend um, a little portable loom for those reasons. But uh, after that, maybe I had my rigid heddle for a year or so. 
And then I started looking on Craigslist, got got bit with the weaving bug, and started was started hounding Craigslist for. Um, I live in New York, so I was just kind of looking in the entire <laughs> tri-state area, <laughs> and ended up finding a woman in Massachusetts or New Hampshire. I honestly don't even remember at this point, but she was just a wonderful elderly woman who had like ten different looms in her floor looms, mind you, in her wow. basement. She had so many looms, and it almost was like painful for her to part with this one. But <laughs> wow. I bought um, a Leclerc. Is that how you pronounce it? I always, I always just like. You know the the French Canadian brand, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, an artistat, it's a four shaft um, loom, and the reason I love this loom, this floor loom, is because the back beam of it also bends inward; it collapses inward, so you can save like another foot and a half of um, space in your apartment or wherever you live. You know, you can kind of push it back up against the wall when you're not actively using it. And I just, I love how mobile it is and it's treated me really well. I love it. Yeah, that's, I mean, it just sounds so, so amazing to you talk about all of the different looms that you've worked with and experimented with. Would you say that you are more drawn to a particular type of loom? Like um, you started with frame looms and then you kind of graduated on to floor looms and rigid heddle looms. Would you say that there's one that you're particularly drawn to? I love working on a floor loom. It does not always, um, what's the word, agree with my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> It's just a very physical practice. And I find when I'm, sometimes when I'm a little more impatient about, I just want to weave or whatever, I'll definitely end up on my rigid heddle more often because it's, I can, I can move it around my apartment and be in different positions and, and kind of enjoy enjoy different parts of, you know, different ambiance. Um, and just like getting it dressed is a much easier process than the floor loom. But, you know, being on the floor loom, if I was working on a larger piece, I love that the tension um, is really consistent on the floor loom. It's just, it's a much more like sturdy being and I, I do love like that kind of relationship, but that that'll be kind of when I'm more deep in a weaving mode, maybe like a couple of months of just really working intensely. Um, I'll have the floor loom out and really get into it. So it kind of depends on the mood and what I'm going for, I think. And obviously, if I was going to explore some different weave structures, like some honeycomb and stuff like that, that's just fun or double weave. The floor loom is where all that magic happens. So. I kind of switch between them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I like about floor looms are the pedals, but then also eventually I don't like <laughs> using the pedals because <laughs> it does cause a lot of stress and, and the, the like bending and the body movement. Yes, um. totally. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so funny, but it really is a, it really is such a factor when you're going to be spending hours and hours and hours working on something. Your shoulders and your back is just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I also read that you use indigo pigment. It's something that you use because it's reflective of your Japanese heritage. Can you talk about your personal relationship to Japanese indigo? Yeah. 
Um, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, my, my maternal side had this kimono shop and um, it's the building that my mom grew up in and it was in the heart of like what's now kind of a, a businessy office office man like suit area <laughs> now. Um, it used to be historically where a lot of the craftsmen and textile artisans um, kind of lived and worked in this area. And there were a lot of indigo dyers there as well. And my grandparents, they didn't do their own dyeing. Um, and a lot of it at that point, I believe, is kind of more about the hand-painted silks and, you know, the emblems and things that got screen printed on or painted onto the silks. Mm. But there were, uh, there was a time in that area where it was, you know, many, many indigo dyers. It was a really common um pigment that they use to, to color clothing because of all the, you know, it strengthened fibers. It um, was mildly like insect repellent. So for a lot of like farmers and stuff, it was mm. a very just common thing to wear out in the fields because it protected you. Um, and it's just beautiful, you know, but obviously as time has gone on, that isn't, you know, a lot of those places have closed and the area has changed a lot. But I always wish that I could, like, go back in time and see that area when it was really bustling and happening and people were, you know, weaving all the obis, those belts for the kimonos, and mm. all the crafts were really alive. But, um, yeah, so so kind of, you know, I don't have a direct tie to indigo per se, but when I work with indigo, I think a lot about my great grandmother, especially, and, and when I'm weaving in as well, um, it's not something that I really connected when I first started weaving. But as I kind of got more involved in the practice, I started to feel this like, oh, I ha I feel this kind of like presence. Like I'm thinking more about my great grandmother. I, I'm like, I was just started thinking more about like all the history of textiles on that side of my family and. Um, when I stumbled onto indigo, because I started getting, along with my weaving practice, I started exploring natural dyes and stuff, because I, I just never really loved, I, I'm always trying to reduce my environmental impact, you know, so from the get-go, I was like, okay, I want some color, how do I get it, <laughs> you know, I'm going to mm. look at some plants, and um, when I came across indigo and really got excited about the multi-layered process and just how much is involved with it and the historical significance in Japanese culture, it did feel like a very full circle moment for me. And um, so I really, I try to embrace that and lean into it when I'm working with that color and working with textiles, you know, it does, it's not like a super, like I do this for my grand, great grandmother or anything like that. But <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really it makes me feel really good to just have some kind of a, a string of connection to um, my ancestry in that way. It feels, it feels nice to kind of carry on the spirit. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I like that you brought up spirit and spirituality because I do feel that there's a presence in the work that you make, whether it's the music you create or your weavings and even just how you have kind of talked about your connection to textiles and um, some of your thought process. Can you go a bit more into depth with 
the spirituality or, or the aesthetics or, or what kind of motivates you to create? Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think generally I'm always, the root of my inspiration is always in nature. Um, I love to explore the kind of human experience as well, especially in my music and, um, how we relate to each other and how we relate to our environments. But I think ultimately everything kind of comes back to, uh, relationship to nature and, you know, symbolism found in nature and teachings found in nature and the metaphors and the very like abstract ways that plants and animals and everything that really exists around us are interconnected and how they communicate and the intelligence and just everything that we don't understand. I find that that mystery between all of it is just so fascinating and, and beautiful and, and kind of this this endless pool of uh, of inspiration, you know. I feel like anytime I'm I'm feeling kind of like, oh, I don't know what to work on. It, it's just like, well, I mean, open your eyes <laughs> and go for a walk, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like clear, get out of get out of your head, you know. Like just go, go witness a tree in even the park or whatever. There's just so much to take in, um, and just the beauty of life and the resilience of plants and the ephemeral nature of seasons and you know all of the cycles and characters that live around us that don't really have voices they might not communicate in in our tongue but they have so much going on and I feel like it's really um, always a treat to kind of peek in and and I feel like a lot of my work explores what I see and what I feel little reflections of moments that I have with Mostly plants. <laughs> Mostly oh. plants. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And can you talk about an enchanted loom? Um, so an enchanted loom was the sh- was a showcase that I did last year. It was a group show. Um, I ha- I had a couple pieces in there. It was a really beautiful show that was curated by uh, Doppelganger doppelganger projects but yeah I had some of my indigo works in there um I'm excited for the I have another show coming up later in October this year at the Southern Utah University um that's another group show I'm really excited the theme is all about artists who kind of you know explore relationship to nature so it it really like uh, expands on that theme I'm excited to see how that goes. Beautiful. And kind of staying on the subject of nature and exploring nature, you have all in all apothecary. Can you talk more about this business that you're working on and what inspired you to start it? Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. It's my little, my little baby project. Um, I've had the apothecary, uh, very, very small batch. It's a, very, it's a very small batch project, but um, something that's very dear to my heart. And I've been doing 
this work for maybe seven or eight years now. Um, it's basically a line of, of seasonal herbal products that I make. Uh, includes like perfumes and oils and salves, lip balms and um, a few tinctures. That really, the collection really started because I was learning about herbs myself and, and learning how to gather them in the wild and prepare herbal medicines. And I just got so excited about another creative, you know, practice and especially the blending of perfumes and, you know, making, uh, making balms and stuff. There is this kind of alchemy that happens when you're stirring all the ingredients together and working with plants in that way was really exciting to me as I was getting to know more about herbalism in general mm-hmm. and I would always just make too much for myself because <laughs> I'm like oh and I want to make an oil of this plant and oh I want to make an oil with this plant and I just ended up you know gifting them a lot and then it kind of grew naturally into this very very little business that um I still like it kind of has become my merch at, at music shows and stuff like that. I'll bring my apothecary items and people are just like, what is this? That's so, that's such cool um, merch to, to get at a music <laughs> show. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's really fun because I feel like people get maybe a little overwhelmed and they're like, oh, yeah, herbal medicine or, you know, I've always wanted to learn more, but there seems like there's so much information and, you mm. know. I feel like these little, they're just these little offerings and they can be maybe a little gateway to people seeing the plants that are around them in a different way. A lot of my products are made with, um, I mean, I don't harvest them literally in New York, but I, I gather things mostly in Vermont. But, um, you know, they're very familiar. They're very common plants. There's like plantain or lavender or St. John's wort and things that you might see in many, many places around the world. And um, I think it's really exciting to be able to kind of make the connection for some people that like, this is a healing herb and it grows everywhere. You know, one of my, um, many of my teachers all kind of prescribed to this, like, this herbal, infamous herbalist quote, just, I feel like it just has existed forever, but (laughs) people say that herbalism is the people's medicine. Mm. And it, and I really, um, I really subscribe to that and I, I get excited that like these products can just be a little gateway for people being able to see the plants that are around them in a different relationship. Um, yeah. Amazing. I actually started, I would say, I'll say I started to dabble in the makeup mm-hmm. tinctures. Yeah. I have a million <laughs> and last year I started to dabble with making them. I'm curious, um, you mentioned oils, that you make oils. Um, mm-hmm. What's the process of making an oil extraction? Yeah, so oils can be a little bit trickier. Tinctures are definitely a great place to start if mm-hmm. you're um, just dabbling and you're just getting into it. Um because there's no chance of it spoiling because the alcohol is going to be like an instant bacteria killer right. and, and preservative. Um, oils can be a little, require a little bit more uh, vigilance when you're letting it steep. But essentially you just cover the plant matter with oil and then let it sit. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of nuance to that. Like some plants have more moisture than others and you don't want to let them sit um, sit in the oil like before 
what am I trying to say? I always let like wet kind of flowers mm. wilt a little bit. Mm. So I might leave them out on the table, like say the red clover. I might leave them out on the table for a day or two and let them kind of dry out a little bit so that they don't mold in the wa- in the oil. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of little little tips and tricks when you really start to get into the oil. But I love oils because I just I feel like it's this instant nervous system relaxer when you get like some juicy herbal infused oil that has its own you know benefits and minerals and stuff that your skin is going to absorb. Mm-hmm. And then you you have to apply it by kind of self massage, right? So you're getting this like double action of of like healing just juicy (laughs) self-care moment (laughs) so i think oils are fabulous i use oils everywhere we have so so many kinds Mm, thank you for sharing i Mm -hmm. i've i've worked with alcohol extraction Mm -hmm. so i'm really excited that i know that it's a similar process it's just you know requires more care (laughs) yes totally and it kind of depends on the on the plant Work with dried plant, like a drier type of plants before you start to work with really juicy blossoms and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense because of mold and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have any new projects that you're working on? Yeah. Um, the big news is that I have a new record coming out in the summer. Um, so I'm really excited about that. We're going to be sharing some music videos in the months leading up to it, I believe right around the time this episode will come out, um, the video for a song called Hummingbird will be out and people can check that out. Um, I have a the group exhibition that I mentioned earlier um, that will be going on at the Southern Utah University in October. I'm excited for that. And those are kind of the big things the album releases is what I'm most involved in right now. So I'm, I'm already like eyeing my loom and just being like, you know, hold on one more minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you soon. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really missing weaving. It's been a, it's been a very music heavy couple of months and I'm excited to get back to my loom. And where can people go on social media and the internet to learn more about your practice, support your apothecary, listen to your music? What are some of your um, social media handles? Yeah. um, So I'm, I'm not super active on Instagram as much as I used to be. I'm trying to like, uh, I'm trying to set some boundaries for myself, (laughs) but I am on Instagram. Yeah. I'm like, I have no self-control. I go in waves. But um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. It, my handle is Leia Thomas with no H. And maybe you can put the links or something in the description. But um, my website is probably the best place to keep in touch because I kind of have, it's the accumulation of all of my art practices and my apothecary shop is also on my site. And my site is com. <laughs> Amazing. It's been really beautiful talking to you today. And before you go, I have one question that we ask Mm -hmm. everyone that joins the podcast. Mm. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Mm, Such a good question. Um, Well, I think something that's important to me is the environmental kind of footprint of my work 
And so maybe I would encourage people to just think about materials and where they're sourcing things. Um, could they find someone that's using, you know, if you, if you, if you don't dye your yarns yourself, can you find yarns that are either recycled or upcycled or um, maybe dyed with uh, inks that aren't as damaging to the, to the water supply of places where, you know, industries where they're being dyed. Um, could you get excited about working with natural fibers? Could you source natural fibers more locally? Could you source them on gist? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> but yeah, just, just generally, I think, you know, when you're working with art, art forms that are bringing actual physical objects into the world, um, I think it's important to consider what you're taking in terms of resources from nature and um, just kind of keep that in mind as you move forward with your work to see if there's a way that you could improve upon it. No one's perfect, but I think it's nice to, to keep that in consideration. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the questions and the thoughtful conversation. Absolutely. That's a wrap. If you're interested in learning more about Leia's work or to listen to some of her music, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 139. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Until next time. Happy weaving.